Hello and welcome to this edition of Nightlight. When you begin to seriously take intercession on as a part of your life, when you go beyond just daily prayers for yourself and your private needs and begin to stand in the gap for other people and for the city or the nation, um, there may be some strange manifestations of resistance that, that come at you. Um, now, I don't mean that you're ever to be afraid of the enemy, for heaven's sakes, uh, as if you have uh, you know, crossed the mafia and they're going to come shoot your windows out or anything like that. Uh, <clears throat> that kind of hyper-drama uh, not only is unbiblical, but it, it keeps the devil uh, exalted in a place he has no, pl no right to be. And uh, intimidates people uh, and keeps them from standing in the place they should be. But uh, there is a certain degree of retaliation. And what I mean by retaliation is usually, not always, I mean, it, there may be strange occurrences, but, but for the most part they're innocuous in, in the long term. No, the kind of uh, retaliation I'm talking about is usually between your ears. It's a uh, uh, quite often a form of depression. Uh, I, I'm dealing right now with a, a leader in a certain city who has taken a, a stand, a, a biblical stand, a correct stand, uh, about some things that are going on in the lives of people under his care. And he is suffering a strange and very heavy depression. Well, so did Elijah. You know, when Elijah took his stand against Jezebel and the prophets of Baal, uh, and, you know, he calls fire down on, on the uh, altar and uh, slaughters the prophets of Baal, what happens next? Jezebel threatens him and he runs into the wilderness and in, enters into a deep, dark depression. Well, Jezebel was uh, queen or no queen. She was just one woman. But the fact is, what was coming through Jezebel against Elijah was not some human or even political force. It was a principality and power that Jezebel channeled. And those powers uh, specialize in manipulating us with moods and feelings and concepts in our mind. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3, 4, and 5, Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down evil imaginations and everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And then he tells us to bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And so what happens is when you begin to pray, you begin to intercede for the United States or Great Britain or Germany or wherever you live, you begin to put yourself in the, the scope of the principalities and powers that are at work to undermine the purposes of God in, in those cities or those countries or those circumstances. So now, doesn't, I don't care, you know, if the devil can see me. First uh, John 5 says the wicked one can't touch me. I, I'm born of the Spirit. Greater is he that's in me than he who's in the world. I'm not afraid of the devil. But I'm not also so foolish as to think that if I take a stand in, uh, in prayer against his shenanigans, that there might not be some, some kickback. But the kickback, quite often, as I just said, is not machine guns through your window. It's uh, it's stuff thrown into your head. I remember uh, years ago, I mean years ago, when I was barely in my 20s, 
and uh, at the time of my life when I was really struggling with enough of my own stuff that I should have been preoccupied with dealing with me and not trying to go out and pick a fight with devils, I went over to New Orleans and uh, decided I was going to go down into the French Quarter in the middle of the day and uh, just witness and, and talk to people and just see what what I could do for the kingdom. Holy Spirit didn't direct me in any of that. I was just doing it. Who knows why? I was just doing it out of probably some feeling of guilt that I hadn't been doing it. But instead of being led by the Spirit, I went down in there all gangbusters, you know. And I, I went into the establishment of Morgana the Witch. Now, to this day, I don't know if Morgana was male or female. You couldn't tell. But in a matter of minutes, Morgana was screaming at me and cussing, and uh, the demons in Morgana were all stirred up. And, of course, it didn't take me long to figure that I probably wasn't being led by the Spirit in there, so I got out of there and managed to get back home about an hour and 15-minute drive home. But for the next 12 to 14 hours, maybe 24 hours, I was in the blackest depression. And there was, uh, there was no rational reason for it. It was all uh, because of that spiritual encounter. I mean, something probably followed me home. I don't know how all that works. But the point is, uh, I had to just pray in the Spirit and worship and bathe myself in the Word of God, and it washed all of it off eventually. But the point is, I was in the wrong place at the wrong time in the wrong spirit with uh, the right message. <laughs> but it wasn't, it wasn't directed by the Lord. I don't mean by that that you've got to have a rhema from God for every step you take and every person you witness to. But obviously I was out of line going into something so dark, so manifestly evil, so unprepared and so undirected by the Holy Spirit. So uh, that was one of my first lessons in uh, depression related to spiritual warfare. And so uh, not only the, the leader that I just told you about, uh, and I'm dealing with him, but I've gotten several other emails or phone calls over the last few days related to this very thing of people suffering uh, unusual mental pressure. And in all these cases, three or four of them, the, the, the common thread is that every one of these people are serious disciples who have taken seriously the call of intercession to stand in the gap for the nation and for their loved ones and for their churches and for their, you know, their communities, to stand in the gap and pray for revival, pray for repentance, uh, pray for cleansing. And in every one of their situations, they've been retaliated against with this depression. Well, Psalm 61 says, uh, he, he, God will give us beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise in place of the spirit of heaviness. And uh, Psalm 8 says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, uh, who, who declares your glory above the heavens, uh, out of the mouth of babes and sucklings you have ordained strength because of your enemies. Now, in Matthew, Jesus is being worshipped by little children, young children who are praising him out loud, and the Pharisees don't like it, and they tell Jesus to make them stop, and Jesus says, don't you know the scriptures? And then he refers them to Psalm 8 that I just quoted to you, and he says, uh, it is written, out of the mouth of babes and sucklings you have ordained praise, or perfected praise. So Jesus quotes Psalm 8. I just quoted it to you, and in the Old Testament uh, scripture it says, it has perfected strength, ordained strength, because of your enemies. Jesus quotes it, perfected praise. So perfecting praise in our mouth 
ordains strength for us because of our enemies. Psalm 149 says that uh, the sword of the Lord is, is unleashed through the praises of God's people. Uh, Psalm 47 says, Clap your hands, O ye people. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Uh, the purpose of clapping hands and shouting is not to just be wild and woolly and emotionally exuberant, although there's nothing wrong with that, but it has a, a, a very specific purpose, and that is to drive back the enemy. Uh, clap your hands, O ye people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. And then uh, I already mentioned Psalm 149, but I, I really would like to read Psalm 149 in its entirety. And so if you have a Bible, you could turn there. Um, these, are, these are not new principles. These, these are concepts that the church used to know. But I realize over the last few years, the church has lost its understanding of, of this. And... Uh, Worship and praise in many churches, not all of them, but in many churches, worship and praise has kind of been, I don't want to say dumbed down, but I don't know what else to say. It has lost its edge because it's lost its anointing and purpose. But I'll uh, maybe mention more about that in a minute. Psalm 149, by the way, I misquoted a while ago, Psalm 61. It's not Psalm 61, it's Isaiah 61. Uh, beauty for ashes, oil of joy for mourning. Psalm 149 says, Praise the Lord, sing to the Lord a new song, and his praise in the congregation of the saints. Let Israel rejoice in him that made him. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Let them praise his name in the dance. Let them sing praises to him with the timbrel and the harp. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the humble with salvation. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud upon their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand to execute upon the heathen vengeance and punishments upon the people to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute upon them the judgment written, This honor has all his saints. Praise ye the Lord. The Hebrew word there for chains is the, the word for flashes of light or sparks. To bind their kings with flashes of light. I don't think that's poetic. Uh, I think that's very specific and literal. Uh, in the praising of God. This is congregational, but it also makes it a point that it's also private. You, you can't get a congregation in your bed with the high praises of God in our mouth and a two-edged sword in our hand. Uh, let them sing aloud from their beds. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you've ever done that or not, I, I, but uh, I have. I've just come out of a sound sleep with some kind of spiritual battle in in my dreams and I've just sung out loud uh, Mary's gotten used to all kind of funny things over the years but anyway uh, I want to go back over here to Psalm 8 which I mentioned and then uh, Psalm 9 right next to it referring to worship and praise as weapons of war for those in intercession who are being attacked in their minds. That's what we're talking about. And uh, Psalm 8, I've already quoted, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who sets your glory above the heavens, out of the mouth of babes and sucklings you have ordained strength because of your enemies that you might still the enemy and the avenger. The purpose of this praising is to, to still the enemy. Psalm 147, bind their kings with chains. Who are the kings? Well, Isaiah says in uh, uh, Isaiah chapter, what is it, chapter 26? I don't know right now. Uh, the, uh, Psalm, Isaiah 24, to, uh, the, the, I will punish 
the heathen on the earth, and I will bring down the kings in the heavens. The kings, the rulers, the, the principalities and powers, those that manipulate culture, that manipulate the world, that manipulate evil and sin, the wicked spirits in high places that, that govern, that uh, have control over the events of the earth, issues of the earth, not, not so much the events of the earth, but the, they control the wickedness in the earth. When God's people begin to lift their voices in praise, it is for the specific purpose of bringing those kings down. We're not focusing on the false kings or the perverse kings. We're focusing on the true king. And Psalm 22 says that God inhabits and dwells, sits enthroned, one translation says, upon the praises of his people. So this is one reason why I get so discouraged when so many church services I happen to attend make no place for this kind of enthronement of the Lord in praise. Most of the songs, I know I get off on this, forgive me, I don't mean to beat a dead horse, but it's not a dead horse, it's a live horse, and it's a problem. Much of the music in American churches today and other countries too is is de degenerated into a, a maudlin emotional expression of the soul that does not even understand, much less practice this as a, an act of spiritual warfare. And as a result, a lot of individuals don't even have it in their uh, accoutrements of warfare. They don't even know how to do it. It never occurs to them. I can't tell y'all how many times I have come in here to do nightlight, to sit at this desk and, and record these messages, and I'll know exactly what I'm supposed to do. I'll have a vision for it. I'll have outlines for it. I'll have everything ready. Everything's in place except one thing. All of a sudden, I'm not present. I have this shroud come over me of... Uh, uh, it can be depression. It can be uh, all of a sudden I can't think straight. Uh, all of a sudden, uh, you know, there's a, a coon out my window making ugly faces at me, literally. Uh, I, I keep thinking I need to move to the woods where it's safe because we never had weird animal stuff like this when we lived in the woods. But anyway, uh, I'll have uh, I'll have sensations come through me of, of every kind you can think of. All of a sudden I'll feel responsible to get up and go take care of something that I haven't taken care of in three weeks. So why all of a sudden is it necessary for me to do it now? All kinds of things. I don't understand how all that works in the spirit world. I just know it's a spirit. And I, when I get in the midst of that, uh, I, I keep a hymn book handy. I keep worship and praise lyrics handy. I don't turn and begin to give praise to God because I feel like doing it. I offer up the sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of my lips. Not necessarily the emotion of my heart, but the fruit of my lips. I offer up to God thanksgiving and praise. I, I, I practice Psalm 147. I set it in motion. And when I do, there is a release in the spirit that drives back the enemy. Why do I, why do I worship and praise? O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who set your glory above the heavens out of the mouth of babes and sucklings. You've ordained strength because I have an enemy. You've ordained strength because I have an enemy. And, and you ordained it so that in practicing this act of praise, it stills the enemy and the avenger. And uh, that word there in Hebrew for still is actually the word to put down or cause to fail. It doesn't just mean he gets still. It means you shove him to the floor. <laughs> you still the enemy and the avenger. Uh, when I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you visit him? For you've made him a little lower than the angels and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet. 
And then he closes, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name. And then Psalm 9 says a similar thing. I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will show forth all your marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies are turned away backwards, they shall fall and perish at your presence. So the same principle is there. Now, this this is going to become more and more important for any of you listening to me who have taken the call of prayer seriously. And I, I, I don't mean this to sound legalistic. You're the only one that knows what the Holy Spirit wants you to do. And I'm not here to tell you what to do. But I made mention of this last month, and I want to just underscore it, that in in the, my prayers for Nightlight and my prayers for all of you, it has occurred to me over and over over the last few months that after 20 years of this ministry, many, many of you, maybe all of you, especially all of you who've been with me since day one, have, have come into a place of maturity where you're no longer preoccupied with what you can get for you. Although there's nothing wrong with you praying for your own needs, of course, ask, give us this day our daily bread is, is just a staple. There's nothing wrong with that. But surely, after a while, you reach a point of saying, you know, I'm, I don't want to just focus on my needs, getting my needs met. I want to be in the battle. I don't want to miss the ball game. I don't want to be on the sidelines preoccupied with my own issues. And, and the, one of the greatest ways to not miss the ball game and to be in the middle of it is intercessory prayer. Uh, there's, there's nothing uh, that pulls you into the real action and puts you right where the action is more than prayer. I know the enemy would love to talk you out of that. That's why he tries so hard to keep you from it. I mean, the one thing he's most afraid of is people who seriously take upon themselves the whole armor of God and begin to cause him trouble by uh, him, uh, meaning the enemy, of course, by making uh, problems in the atmosphere. I mean, I, I think the Lord created bats as a, as a symbol of how this all works. You know, when you see bats swarming, and then, you know, there's there's sound, sonar can be sent into the bats and they just lose their direction and start crashing into each other. I mean, I'm not anti-bat. I'm just, I don't want the bats to be hurt. I'm just saying that's a fact. You know, that's just the way it is. And, and uh, that's a picture to me of what happens when we begin to worship and praise. There's this weird, dark, bat-like, monstrous atmosphere the enemy shrouds down over us individually or over a congregation and i've had it happen in in meetings where you know i've just had to call the people forward and, and say listen we, we, i'm not going to get up here and preach it's not doing any good nobody's hearing it we need to cleanse the atmosphere and uh, uh we've had to do that at the conference in, in you know in august because uh, as much as we appreciate that conference center and as much as we enjoy it and as good as it is, they have all kind of strange groups that come through there sometimes and they leave residue of darkness. And we've had to cleanse the atmosphere. And the way you do that is by praising God. And the way you do that is by opening your mouth and shouting out loud, Okay, so if these little kids were perfecting praise according to Jesus, their praise was perfect according to the one who's being praised, the only one who matters. And he said that perfected praise in the mouth of these children was loud, exuberant, joyful, childlike, dancing, singing, praising. So we, we, we didn't do that in, in my church tradition. I understand that. I'm not trying to make you do something outside your tradition per se, but most of you, uh, maybe all of you, are way past me having to talk you into doing something outside your tradition, for heaven's sakes. I don't know too many people who listen to this message every month who are caught up in trying to maintain their denominational identity. They just want to obey God. <coughs> Excuse me. 
And obeying God here, see, this has nothing to do with, uh, well, I'm not Pentecostal. Well, what's that got to do with it? Uh, shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Clap your hands, O ye people. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Look, it's embarrassing, I know. Uh, that's because your flesh doesn't want to give glory and honor to God. You'll scream your head off, some of you, at a ball game, like that's important. But you won't take seriously what I'm saying here because your ego is being embarrassed by it. That's a good barometer for where you might be and why the enemy might be kicking you around. Now, the principle here uh, is is true for private battles, but it's also true for corporate battles. And I know I've already said this, but uh, I want to just appeal to you as a matter of prayer, since many of you are taking seriously the call to prayer. Here's something you may need to begin to focus on in prayer. I think in line with this this whole thing I'm talking about here, we need to begin to seriously pray for a restoration of true worship and praise in the body of Christ. I don't mean by that a restoration of old songs I may like. It's not got it's got nothing to do with what I'm talking about. The songs may be old, the songs may be new, the songs may be electric guitar, the songs may be piano. That's not the point. The point is most worship services and worship and praise you know, there's all kind of funny ideas about worship and praise. Some people think worship is slow and praise is fast. Worship is hymns and praise is choruses. Worship is uh, moving and emotional and praise is loud and uproarious. That's not necessarily true. There's praise songs that can be slow and there's worship songs that can be fast and there's an act of praise that has no music in it at all and there's acts of worship that have nothing to do with music and there's music that doesn't have worship or praise in it at all. And that's the part that I guess I'm most concerned about is that I think there's a lot of music now. There's a lot of music and the focus is the music, but the people have not been trained in the scriptures to understand the principles that I've just been talking about. And when they sing, they're just singing. And they almost may as well be singing along with the radio on on the you know 102.9 uh, love station, where they're just kind of grooving with the beat or grooving with the lyrics or grooving with the emotions of the song. And there's nothing wrong with that per se, except that if it's missing the the spiritual purpose that was intended by the Holy Spirit when he ordained praise in the congregation and in the life of private people, then you're, you're just shooting yourself in the foot and missing the enemy that should be being shot. So uh, go with me to 2 Chronicles. Chapter 20, you know, a lot of the, the stories in the uh, Old Covenant were given for us as our examples, Paul says. He said all that's written before has been given for our examples so that we know how to behave ourselves and how to function. Spiritual warfare is, is on every page, especially of books like Deuteronomy and uh, First and Second Chronicles, and here in Second Chronicles chapter twenty, is a story that uh, may or may not be familiar to you, but it's a picture of the very thing I've been talking about, and I I want to spend more time on this because so many of you are going to be more and more involved in this this kind of prayer life, you're going to be involved in this kind of battle. You're going to have to know how to break the power of the enemy. When he starts shrouding you and and coming back at you and retaliating with you, against you with moods and feelings. And, uh, you know, I've been doing this. I've been walking in this truth for 40 years. And I can still come in here, like I told you a while ago, I can I can come in here, sit down, be ready to record Nightlight, 
and I'll just start feeling this numbness and this darkness and this, I want to go do something else. I, I just want to do anything else. And you'd think after this many years, I would go, okay, I know exactly what's going on, and I immediately take care of it. But sometimes I'll go a couple of hours floundering around, starting over, you know, recording and saying, ah, that's not going right, and then cutting it off and going back and re-recording it and finally getting so angry at it that I've, I, who wants to hear anything I'm saying? I'm so mad at the at the recording equipment or whatever is going on that's distracting me that I'm completely out of the spirit. I don't have any anointing. Whatever I'm recording ain't worth hearing. It's certainly not worth recording. And so you think, how many times do you have to go through that, Clay, before you catch on that this is warfare? You're being harassed. And you stop and you you know, you know turn the machine off and you uh, put yourself in the presence of the Lord and begin to worship and praise Him and clap before Him and shout to God with a voice of triumph. You know, that freaks out that raccoon out the window and whatever goofy spirit might be manipulating that raccoon. But anyway... Second Chronicles chapter 20, some of you know this story, some of you may not. It came to pass after uh, that the children of Moab, the children of Ammon, now these are, the, these are the people who worship the most evil and darkest and most perverse demon spirits in all of the world. And they represent the forces of darkness that seek to disrupt and destroy the people of God. And then it says, uh, all these these groups, Ammon, Moab, the Jebusites, came against Jehoshaphat to do battle. Then there came some and told Jehoshaphat, uh, all these people have come against us. And verse 3 says, Jehoshaphat was frightened and set himself to seek the Lord and to proclaim a fast throughout Judah. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Out of all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are not you God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in your hand alone there is power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. Are you not our God? See, the first thing you do when you begin to praise is you begin to exalt the attributes of God. You begin to give honor and glory to to him as, uh, you know, not as the one who loves you, not as the one who, you know, gives you warm fuzzies. No, this is an act of war. This is not to focus on his love for you. Thankful as I am for his love for us, this is this has to do with proclaiming out loud to the principalities and powers. Uh, this is Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, which says that one of the purposes of the church is to manifest the many-faceted diamond wisdom of God. The idea of a diamond, you can just see a diamond with all the different sparks of fire in the different facets of the diamond. That's what Paul's talking about in Ephesians 3 when he says that we, the church, we give, we give manifest evidence of the many-sided wisdom of God to glorify God. And we do that. Why? Well, why does it say we do that in Ephesians 3.10? So the principalities and powers see it. This is exactly what I'm talking about. See, uh, you may you may look through the window with that raccoon and see me sitting at my desk looking like a crazy man, clapping my hands and praising God. But I'll tell you, if you could see in the spirit, what you might see is flashes of lightning and peals of thunder and the glory of God 
coming down and manifesting his presence over me and in me and through me. And when that presence comes, Psalm 9 says, the enemy is shoved back because of my enemy. I mean, the enemy is shoved back because of the presence of God, and the presence of God has come uh, in order to uh, respond to the presence of my enemy who has come to try to stop me. Does that that make sense? Do you understand this? See, sometimes you just have to quit trying to be so logical, so theological, so mature, so adult. Uh, I I realize, I mean, I love to study, and I love that you all want to study, and I love the fact that you study with me. But after a while, we have to stop reading the menu in three languages and start eating the meal. And this is one of the ways where you really partake of, Taste and see that the Lord is good uh, is when you begin to exert yourself willfully to give him praise in order to drive back the enemy. I'm not praising God because I'm trying to get something from God. God's already on. God's already caring for me. God's already. God's not on my side. I'm on God's side. But God is on my side in the sense that when I begin to praise him in order to drive the enemy back, he's saying, son, I'm right here with you. I'm right. I'm right with you. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. And the goal is accomplished. Okay. So uh, verse 6, you t- he's telling God how glorious and, and magnificent and powerful and awesome God is. Then he shifts gears in verse 7 and says, not only are you God and God alone, not only are you great and above all things, but you are our God. Now he begins to give praise to God for his covenant relationship with them. You are our God who did drive out the inhabitants of this land before the people of Israel and gave it to the seed of Abraham, your friend forever. Now he's reminding God of his covenant, not because God's forgotten it, but he is proclaiming out loud the law of the universe that all the principalities and powers have to bow to. And uh, now your people have dwelt here and have built you a sanctuary where your name is. And you told us, again, he's not reminding God because God's forgotten. He's reminding himself for one thing, and he's reminding the enemy. And God likes it when he speaks these things out loud. You said, Lord, when evil came upon us as the sword or judgment or pestilence or famine, We stand before this house and in your presence, for your name is in this house. And we cry to you in our affliction. You said that if we did that, that you will hear and you will help. And now, look, the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Sear, which have, uh, remember, they're the ones who would not let Israel invade. You, you, You would not let Israel invade them when we came out of the land of Egypt, but turned us away and told us not to destroy them. Look at how they are repaying us. They come to cast us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O our God, will you not judge them? For we have no might to stand against this great company that has come against us. Neither do we know what to do. But our eyes are on you. And all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones and their wives and their children. Then upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, the Levite of the sons of Asaph, came the Spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. See, in worship and praise, that's when the Holy Spirit will begin to move. This is true for you individually. I've been in times of battle alone without any congregational help. And I've gone into this spirit of worship and praise and giving thanks God to God and honoring God and reminding God of his promises. And the, the, the anointing that would come on me would give me the prophetic word. I would hear the word of the Lord. I would get the answer I was trying to to discern. The spirit of prophecy moves
moves out of the spirit of praise and, and, and giving honor to God. And the Holy Spirit came on uh, on the prophet, and he said, Hearken, all of Judah, you inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid or be dismayed by reason of the great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they come up by the cliff of Ziz, and you uh, shall find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeriel. You shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves. See, this is Ephesians 6. Having done all, stand. Having done all, stand. Set yourselves. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord with you, O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid or dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Now see, in response to the word of the Lord, they go from praise uh, and, and, uh, and reminding God of these promises into just outright worship. Uh, the, the, there are several Hebrew words for worship, but one of them means to prostrate yourself fully on the on the ground. So, you know, we we love to sing about worship. We just don't know how to do it. We let angels prostrate fall. We sing that. We want angels to prostrate themselves, but not us. Now, they could have panicked because you got to understand the warfare that's coming against them is huge. We read these stories and we don't get it. I mean, you just picture uh, picture Helm's Deep and Saruman's uh, uh, Urukai army coming. That's 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 a pretty good picture of what you're dealing with here. So there's plenty of reason to panic. I got this wonderful little book somebody sent me by a missionary named Arthur Matthews. And he says here, to get the Christian to react in panic. The devil blows up storms on the lake or riots or wild beasts at Ephesus. In this way, he stimulates us into panic to act according to the immediate predicament we are in without taking time to lay hold of the objective facts of God's promises. The devil is a panic artist and plays heavily on our self-consciousness in emergencies. And he quotes um, uh, Mr. Fraser, who's a colleague of his, who says, Each time your spirit goes under and faints, in the trials and situations you, you're going through, you lose mastery over the powers of darkness. You get below them instead of abiding above them in God. Every time you take the earth standpoint, you take a place below the powers of darkness, and then they're, they're above you. The mastery of them depends on your spirit's abiding in the place above them. The place above them means knowing God's outlook, God's thought, God's plan, God's ways by abiding with Christ in God. Now that's what Jehoshaphat has done. He could have panicked. He had every reason to panic. He's got all these Urukai coming, bloodthirsty monsters, thousands and thousands of them gathering around Jerusalem. He goes to God. He glorifies God based on the revelation of who God is. He reminds God that God is their God and, and they are his people. He quotes back to God what God's word said about what would happen if the people were, were surrounded by enemies and, and God's promise to meet them. He uh, He begins to honor the Lord in, in quoting his word. I mean, nothing honors God more than quoting God's word back to God as if you believe it. See, which is the very opposite of what the, uh, you know, the children of Israel did when they went into the land and, and uh, God, you know, 
God tells them they're going to take the land, and they come back and say, no, well, God must be mistaken. We can't take the land because the, the giants are too big. No, nothing pleases God more than when you com- you say back to God what God has said to you as if you really believe that God's telling you the truth. I'm going through something right now with uh, one of my children, and I got I have so many you don't know how many, who I'm talking about. So if they heard this, they wouldn't know who I'm talking about. But I'm going through something with one of them where God gave me a promise, and I have stood on that promise, and now circumstances are coming in place to to uh, deny the fulfillment of that promise. And I'm telling you, have I been tempted to pout and feel sorry for myself and be sad and uh, be sentimental and remember the good old days when things were easier and on and on and on? You bet I've been tempted to do it, but I've treated it like a temptation just as vile as if I was tempted to look at uh, ugly pictures or to uh, steal or to lie or to murder. I'm not going to give in to the temptation of treating God with disrespect by saying, God, it just doesn't look like it's going to work out like you promised. I'm not going to do it. I I honor the Lord by giving praise and thanksgiving to him because he will finish what he's begun and he will fulfill what he promised. And that very attitude in my heart is driving backward the forces that have been allowed to come to uh, in some ways, test my heart. God knows what's in my heart, but I need to know what's in my heart. And I was frustrated to find the fear that came up in me, but I was grateful to have the opportunity to see the fear because that gave me an opportunity to cast it out and to start proclaiming out loud the promises of God. You overcome the devil by the word of the, the blood of the Lamb, the word of your testimony, and you love not your life to the death. I testify out loud in Jesus' name what the blood of Jesus does for me. And one of the things that he's done and is doing in me is he is bringing to pass his promises for me and for my children. Anyway. They get the word of the Lord. They, the Holy Spirit tells them exactly where to go in practical terms. They go to that place. God says, you don't even need to fight in this battle. Verse 19 says, the Levites and the children of the Kohathites and the children of the Korites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a loud voice. And they rose early in the morning and went forth to the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, O O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe the Lord your God, so shall you be established. Believe his prophets, and so shall you prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers to the Lord that they should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and to say, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Judah means praise. You know that. Most of you know that. And uh, so the forefront of the battle, they send the praisers. Uh, We've talked about this before, but singing is one of the most powerful forces The devil knows that. That's why he's hijacked music. And he's done that uh, because he knows the human soul is very susceptible to uh, the harmony, melody, and rhythms of music. Music opens you up to receive whatever message the music is carrying. So if the music is carrying lies of hell, you open up to it because you like the beat, so you listen to it and, you, and the poison comes in with the music. On the other hand, if the music is carrying the worship of the beauty of holiness and the truth of God, that's getting into you too. And that's why David says so many times in the Psalms about singing songs of deliverance in the night, singing songs in the night season. Or I mentioned already from Psalm 147, um, praising, or Psalm 149, excuse me, uh, praising God on your bed. You know, learning to sing to God when you don't know how to do anything else. How do you stand? You stand quite often 
by singing. Anyway, when they begin to sing and to praise, verse 22 says, The Lord sent ambushments against the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Sear, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. They destroyed each other. And you might want to take some time and read the rest of this just because it's important. But the point I hope you're getting out of this, among other things, is not just not just that singing is a weapon and that God wants to use it to overcome the enemy and so forth. That's that's the surface issue. The the, the deeper issue is the reason we do this is because we believe God. The reason we do this is because God is trustworthy and worthy of praise and worthy of worship and worthy of your trust in the face of warfare. But it takes a kind of childlike humility to be willing to to do this. Uh, uh, now, let me just get get honest with some of you. Some of you are so wild and crazy. Dancing and jumping and shouting and praising God is just... You just do it because it's just you're free and you don't have any religious hang-ups. And so my my words to you about overcoming fear of this kind of behavior is is well, it's a wasted message on you. Your problem is you may need to learn to be more quiet and still and be able to enjoy the other aspects of worship that aren't so exuberant. But for those of you who are bound up and afraid. And that's what it is. It's bondage. It's it, it's fear. It, it, you, you just, you know, you think the only verse in the Bible is be still. The Lord is in his holy temple and all the earth keeps silence. Be still and know that I am God. You know, you get into those verses and you don't realize that over the years you've allowed a uh, a personality trait in you to become over-spiritualized so that quietness and uh, uh, reserve, you've almost made a, uh, a spiritual attribute in your personal situation. Well, what if it's not? What if it's just a bondage? What if it's just a, a, a stiff muscles in the spirit that need to be loosened up? I'm not going to, I've mentioned this kind of thing before. I'm not going to try to tell you what you should do. It's none of my business, really. I mean, I'm not trying to judge you. I'm just telling you, after dealing with people uh, from all walks of life over many years, people that will not let themselves practice these verses that I've been talking about, they belong to God for heaven's sakes. It's not a question of whether they're Christians or not, but they miss out on a lot of freedom and a lot of battles don't get victoriously completed because they just stay in that same place. And and you see, when you don't break free of that, there's doubt and unbelief underneath that fear of worship and praise and, and expressing yourself out loud to God. And that doubt and unbelief takes root and it grows like a cancer uh, underneath that self-protective ego armor. And what I'm trying to get you to see is when you when you push past that, look, if you've got to go out in the woods somewhere where there's nobody out there watching you but the raccoons, do it. Uh, my, my dear father-in-law, who's one of the godliest people I know, told me one time, he said, you know, I, I hear what you're saying about praising God and being, and he's one of the, you know, he's a military man and he's, he comes from a, a family and a long line of self-contained, mature people. But he said, I get out there on the tractor where, uh, you know, nobody can hear me, but God and I let loose. <laughs> and I'll tell you, it shows in, in his lifestyle and in his prayer life and in the effect he has on the lives of the people who he touches. Uh, in, in his mid-80s, he is as effective for God as at any time in his life um, because he takes seriously the things that I'm talking about here. So um, now let, let me shift gears just for a little bit before we run out of time and just mention again the whole subject of intercessory prayer. 
I'm saying to you these things because I've learned by experience over the years that if you don't prepare yourself for these panic situations the enemy likes to send your way, uh, you will panic. You will be overrun by them. See, Psalm 112 says the righteous man or woman is not afraid of bad news. Why? Because their heart is established. How do you know their heart is established? Because it says in the next verse, my heart is established, I will sing and give you praise. So the evidence of an established heart that is not afraid of bad news and therefore is not overcome by panic and by fear when when seemingly bad news comes is uh, that you give praise to God. Uh, I heard a guy say one time, I really liked it, uh, I can't remember who said it or I'd give him credit for it, but he said, uh, the prison the enemy gets you thrown into is the womb where God's purposes eventually are birthed. The The prison the enemy gets you thrown into is the womb where God's purposes develop and are finally given birth. And he, he based that on his, a sermon he was preaching on Acts chapter 16, where, as you know, Paul and Silas are thrown into prison, and they're uh, in stocks and bonds, and they're sitting there praising God at midnight and singing. Why were they doing that? Because they knew this message. This was this was something they just, this is basic See, y'all, this is basic Christianity. I, I learned this. I was taught this when I was 18 years old. See, the old Pentecostals and the old uh, Holy Rollers that I was around in my early, early days of coming into the move of the Spirit, they learned these things. The Holy Spirit taught them these things long before they had big TV programs and big big, big ministries that were worldwide. They were just people who uh, the rest of the church looked down on and kind of uh, were embarrassed by. But, uh, you know, they they knew how to pray, what they call praying through. They knew how to pray through the battles of life. They uh, didn't deny the battles. They didn't deny the potential trouble and sorrow and evil of the battles. But that was not their final conclusion. They they looked at the evil. They saw it just like Jehoshaphat did. Yeah, we see the army coming. We see the Urukai. We see the hundreds and thousands of them, looks like, surrounding us. They took that in consideration. Then they went to God, who is their final uh, consideration. And they, they, they told God, yeah, I love the way Joseph that does it. Cause did you notice he talks to God as if God doesn't know the situation? <laughs> and that's one of the keys to real prayer. A lot of times people don't pray because they say, well, God knows it all anyway. Yeah, I know God knows it all anyway, but the whole purpose of prayer is interaction, fellowship, and relationship. And so, you know, sometimes one of my kids will be telling me something that they know I know, and I know they know I know, but I want to hear them tell it, and they want to hear me hear them tell it, because we have a relationship together. And and we're just enjoying each other, interacting on the subject that we both know we both know. And so Jehoshaphat does that with God. He just begins to talk to God out of his awareness of the reality of what's going on, and he's just talking to God like a kid talks to his father. This is what's happening. Look and see. Look what they said. Look what they're trying to do. Look and remember what you said to me. And and uh, we don't know what to do. It's, this is too big for us. But our eyes are on you. <laughs> can can you hear this? Stop the tape or uh, CD or whatever you listen to. And, and, and do this. Whatever is going on in your life right now, if it's good and glorious and there's no battles, then stop and give praise to God for that fact and then worship him for, for his goodness and his faithfulness. But if things are bad, if things are dark, if you're facing something with, in your marriage or with one of your children or in the lives of people you care about that are in trouble or there's sickness and disease or finances are in terrible shape or whatever it is, stop and tell your Father in heaven 
what the enemy has brought against you and explain to to, to God. Tell him all about it. Put it in words. Say it out loud. Don't sit there in some mental, quiet little corner of your soul and um, talk to God in a whisper in your brain. Say it out loud. Pray like an Italian or a Jew. Pray with both hands. Walk around the room. And then after you've expressed all this to God, then tell God what you think of his goodness, his power, his glory, his faithfulness. His look, Go outside and look at the stars and realize he's named every one of them. He knows them all by name. Millions and billions and trillions of stars who has set your glory above the heavens, the psalmist says. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who sets your glory above the heavens. And you've given me the power to praise you in order to still my enemy and your enemy, Lord. Well, Father, I just pray that your spirit will release the anointing of worship and praise in your people who hear this message. Not just for this message, but for their lifestyle, for the rest of their lives, all the way to home. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you all. Thanks for listening. Love you. We'll talk to you, Lord willing, next time.